0: Hi friends. It's good to be back with you. I was uh, suffering for Jesus in the mountains of Colorado last week. Um, Yeah, I know. And do you realize 40 of our people are suffering right now going rafting and camping? That's, uh, That's where most of our people are, the whole crew. 40. 39 to be exact, went uh, rafting and camping this past past weekend. uh, Brian Tabor, our student's pastor, uh, is leading them and I'm sure is making a fabulous video that we'll all get to watch uh, next Sunday uh, to see what they were up to. Uh, It's good to be back with you. Let me pray. God thank you for your presence with us we pray as we open the text now this morning that we would be present to you that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand that we might turn all the more towards you and experiencing experience more of your healing presence in our lives God, we continue to pray for our nation. God, forgive us for an ongoing uh, recognition of racism in our nation, systemic injustice, uh, hatred. God, we pray for healing. We pray for unity. We pray for hope for a good future for all people. God, as we continue to explore the life of Solomon, I pray that you would show us more of who you are and who you have called us to be. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 3. We've been uh, journeying through the life of Solomon, exploring who Solomon is. Uh, He is David's son, David... uh, was the second king of Israel, Saul was the first, David the second, and now Solomon is king in 1 Kings chapter 3. So we're going to do this for a couple more weeks, and then I'm super excited, uh, starting September 10th, we're going to start a series called Three Years with Jesus, and from September to May, for the next three years, we're going to be exploring different gospel texts and what it looks like. To live the life of jesus to follow jesus our true messiah our true lord the one who came to rescue us from sin and death the one who came to show us the best possible way to live Uh, we want to explore uh, the gospels in depth and and uh enter deeply into jesus's life and why he came uh, why he died uh, why he rose again and conquered death and, and uh, came to rescue us. So uh, that'll start September 10th And I'm uh, really excited that this is not just going to be something we explore together on Sunday mornings But this will become part of your weekly rhythm exploring these texts together as individuals as communities as families uh, And so uh, man, I can't wait uh, but we're, we're looking at 1 Kings today, so we're going to jump into that, 1 Kings chapter 3. So a little background on where we've been. Um, David is dying, and 1 uh, Kings chapter 1, there's a, oh, I'm sorry, kids, children, thanks for being with us this morning. If you want to go to the tables in the back, you are more than welcome to do so. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, David is dying. Adonijah, David's oldest living son, decides, well, I'll become king. And he gets people in his corner and vying for him to be on the throne. And he declares himself as king. And then uh, Nathan and Bathsheba, Nathan the prophet and one of David's wives, Bathsheba, goes to David and says, hey, did you hear what's going on? And through a whole series of events, I mean, it's drama, drama, drama uh, of vying for the throne. And through these whole series of events, uh, David declares Solomon his king. And so in then uh, 1 Kings chapter 2, on his deathbed, David gives his final words to Solomon. And the first chunk of his words to Solomon uh, seem really great. Like, follow the way of God. Walk in the way of the Lord. Uh, look to the Torah, look to this, these texts that talk about love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, And so David is imparting to his son Solomon, this way of living that God has laid out for his people. And then he shifts. Okay, now that I've told you that. Here's the people you should kill. Whoa, what, what is going on here? And and we talked about uh, what it looks like living with resentment in our lives. When we hold resentment in our lives, it will tear us apart. And scientific and psychological studies have been done showing us this, how, how it affects us deeply physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, uh, it will just rip us apart. But by God's grace, when we can shift from resentment to the process of forgiveness, it frees us. Forgiveness will change us physically, emotionally, spiritually, And mentally and we talked about how forgiveness actually frees us more than it frees the person who offended us because when we're holding unforgiveness in our hearts it's just going to tear us apart but when we can embrace forgiveness when we can walk the way of Jesus who came and forgave all it will free us to live the best possible kind of life that that's what forgiveness does we're invited into this hard path the way of the cross that Jesus invited us into and and the hard path that says forgive as Christ in God has forgiven you that's the invitation to forgive as Christ has forgiven us it's a hard path to walk. Uh, David ends his life giving some really great advice to Solomon and then some really bad advice to Solomon. Uh, David ended his life still holding resentment. How do you want to end your life? Uh, Do you want to be free from resentment or will you still be holding some? Uh, The invitation is to let go And embrace the way of forgiveness, the way of love, the way of the cross, and ultimately the way of resurrection. And then 1 Kings chapter 3, uh, Brian walks through the first chunk of this with you guys. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 3 opens interestingly uh, Solomon marries a princess from Egypt. Uh, He's a new king, and he recognizes that Egypt is a powerhouse. And I better form an alliance with Egypt. Otherwise, Egypt could be a real problem for me. And so he's thinking politically. He's thinking strategically. And so he marries this princess from Egypt. Uh, Thing is, he he wasn't supposed to do that. Uh, God had made that very clear. And so he has put his political interests over and above God's interests for this people that God has called. In many ways, what the narrator is showing us, when, when uh, Solomon marries this princess from Egypt, uh, who was it that had held the Hebrew people in slavery for 400 years? Egypt. And there's this theme throughout the Old Testament. Uh, don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back to the way things were in Egypt. Don't walk back into slavery, and don't model yourself after Egypt, the oppressor. You are to be a light to the nations, not an oppressor. And it'll be interesting to see where Solomon's life leads him as he has now kind of broken that that trajectory that God had for him. Uh, Solomon's reign does not start off that great. It starts off with great violence. He ends up doing what his dad told him to do. He, he kills the people his dad told him to kill. Uh, his dad, interestingly enough, had nothing to say about Adonijah who had claimed the throne, but Solomon has him killed as well. And so uh, Solomon's reign begins with violence, with blood on his hands, uh, and then marrying an Egyptian princess to form an alliance. He, he wants to secure the throne And he hasn't been looking to God for how to secure the way forward. Then, for the first time in the book of 1 Kings, God shows up. And God speaks. And he meets Solomon where he's at In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and, said, and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. What's interesting to me is that God's first appearance in 1 Kings is not God coming to Solomon and pointing the finger and saying, look what you've done. You're off to a bad start, man. Uh, God doesn't come and judge him. God doesn't come and point the finger at him. It's like God shows up knowing Solomon's off to a bad start. And God says, ask whatever you want. Let's have a restart. Let's let's look past the way you've started. And let me invite you into a better way. What do you want of me? Ask whatever you want, and I will give it to you. And it's like this moment, uh, God's presence showing up to Solomon. Can you imagine that? If God showed up to you? This isn't a genie in the bottle, uh, ask for a wish. This is the very presence of God showing up and saying, ask whatever you want. And and I think this must have just affected Solomon so deeply. Because Solomon doesn't ask for riches. He doesn't ask for fame. He asks for a discerning heart. Uh, Many of us, when we think of this story, we we think of, uh, what did Solomon ask God for? It was wisdom. Well, it, It was more than just wisdom. It was a wise and discerning heart or a hearing heart a listening heart the the hebrew can be translated any number of ways Uh, discerning listening hearing heart this is what solomon asks for and so brian explored this text with you last week and uh, god said because this is what you've asked of me i will also give you all these other things. It's almost like this divine foreshadowing uh, when Jesus says to us, seek first the kingdom. Don't worry about tomorrow. Seek first the kingdom. And when you seek first the kingdom, all these other things will be added as well. Don't, don't worry about all that stuff. If you're seeking the kingdom, your needs will be taken care of. Seek first the kingdom. And so God gives Solomon this wise and discerning heart. And then it leads us into our passage for today in 1 Kings 3, verse 16. And I'm just going to read straight through this story, uh, a little different than what we usually do, but I'm going to read straight through this story. Uh, and then I just want to engage in some reflections about what's going on here in this story. It says, Two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, Pardon me, my lord. This woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son. The dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours. The living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, this one says, my son is alive and your son is dead, while that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order, cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. This just sounds crazy, doesn't it? The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, Please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other one said, Neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Now, This is an interesting story, isn't it? Um, Some people are are critical of Solomon in in the way he handled this because he uh, didn't do the hard work of investigating, of cross-examining, of going to the scene and looking for evidence. Uh, Instead, he just hears the story and then uh, says, bring me a sword, and it's like uh, one dead child isn't enough, so let's now kill the second, Uh, seems just really a violent response on the king's uh, behalf. And yet, what is happening is somehow this wise and discerning heart that Solomon has asked for, Solomon is thinking outside of conventional wisdom. There's a huge difference between conventional wisdom and godly wisdom. Uh, I'd invite you, at another time, read through 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2. It talks a lot about what Paul calls divine wisdom and worldly wisdom. A huge difference between the two. Now, conventional wisdom serves us well, doesn't it? I mean, we, we live by a lot of conventional wisdom, and if we didn't, we'd find ourselves in a lot of trouble. But there are times when we need divine wisdom from God because what looks like the right answer, what looks like the right move, isn't necessarily the right move. And through prayer and discernment and reliance on God's Spirit, a holy divine imagination comes about where we're able to think outside of conventional wisdom and a different way forward. And Solomon here is using his imagination. And through it, the love of the true mother is revealed. I wonder what it would look like for us to think outside of conventional wisdom and to trust and rely on God's spirit in us and in the community communal discernment, communal divine wisdom. When we have choices to make in our lives, when, when we are, are trying to figure out the best way forward, what does it look like to go to God in prayer asking for divine wisdom, something outside of conventional wisdom, something outside of the options we think are before us? Maybe there's another way. And God's simply waiting for us to ask for divine wisdom to show us that way. Uh, Divine wisdom and conventional wisdom are different. God invites us into divine wisdom, where the Spirit will help us discern and will reveal to us different options that we never imagined. Were before us Um, something else that strikes me in this text Solomon had asked for a wise and discerning heart or a, a listening or hearing heart he is king he is the most powerful person in all of Israel he can basically listen to whoever he wants but his request for a listening heart. Who comes before him? Two prostitutes, two women on the underside of power, two women who would likely not get a hearing before anyone, let alone the king, two women who have been sexually exploited, who have been abused, who have been looked over, who are just outcasts, they get a hearing before the king. This is huge for us to grasp. This king who asked for a hearing, a listening heart, is willing to listen to anyone because they are human. They have worth. They have been told their entire lives they have no worth except what their bodies will offer a man. And this king says, you have worth simply by allowing them to come into the throne room and speak. When we ask God for a listening heart, are we willing to listen to anyone? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to me. I, I'm blown away by this one. because it, it, it comes right on the heels of Solomon's request for a listening heart. Who do we see him listen to first? Two women who likely no one else in that culture would listen to. And Solomon says, no, 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 I asked for a listening heart. I'm going to listen to anyone and everyone. And these two women who have been oppressed and exploited and used and abused, they get a hearing before me. And as Solomon listens to them, and as he thinks outside the box, And as he discerns and uses the divine wisdom that God has given him to to discern who is the true mother, does he point the finger and judge the woman who came before him and lied? It's not in the story, is it? And we don't know exactly what may have happened to her, But but what I get from this story is Solomon discerned who the true mother was and he didn't judge the woman who came and lied. The fact that her baby is dead is hard enough. She doesn't need more judgment than that. And Solomon listened and he heard and he cared for two women that most other people in that culture did not care for. Who do you care for? My whole family. Thank you. Uh, It's easy to care for those we love and those who are close to us, right? Unless they're really getting on our nerves and annoying us. Uh, But um, it's kind of expected that, that we care for and love those we are close to. But those who are oppressed, those who are on the outside, those who are on the underside of power, those who are on the outskirts, those those who are hard to love, that's a different story, isn't it? To have a listening heart towards them, to have kindness and compassion towards them. I, I think that's part of the invitation of this story for us. Who are you listening to? And are you listening to those who others refuse to listen to? do you hear them? Do you hear their voice? Do you hear the voice of those on the underside of power? Do you hear the voice of those who are under the foot of the oppressor? And do you care? And then one more thing for me from this story that strikes me, uh, it's the mother's love. What is to be commended in this story, maybe even more than Solomon's wisdom, is the love of a mother for her child. And she's willing to give her child up in order to save his life. It is, uh, the Hebrew uh, word that's used in the text is from the gut. This love, it comes from the gut. It's a deep, guttural, emotional love and she's willing to give up her son so that he will live. Uh, We're invited to love like this. And in many ways, it's divine foreshadowing of the love of a God that we often refer to as Father, who is willing to give up his son so that we might experience life uh, this is the way of life we're invited into this self-giving sacrificial love you know when we think about uh, sacrifice and the, the way of sacrifice and the way of sacrificial living uh, and that jesus modeled that for us we, we look at the life of jesus and his sacrifice in the incarnation, in his life, in his death on the cross. And, and, and that's the model for us. Uh, and it should continue to be the model for us. But something we often don't think about as much is the sacrifice of the Father in giving his son for us. And it was a great sacrifice. And the Son came and lived among us, this Jesus, this Messiah, this one who came to bring hope and healing to a deeply broken world, who invites us into that same kind of living, into a people with a wise and discerning heart, into a people with a listening heart that we will listen to those who others won't listen to, that we will listen to those who are under the foot of oppression, that we will listen to those who are on the underside of power, and we will give them a hearing and we will speak on their behalf. And we will act on their behalf. And we will be this people who bring hope and healing into a deeply broken world. In a few moments when we come and take this bread and dip it in the cup we remember the one who came with a listening heart for all. We remember the one whose body was broken and whose blood was poured out for the sake of the world. Not for the sake of some, the sake of the world, everyone. This is the hope we live with, that this Jesus came to rescue us from all the hatred of the world, from all the brokenness of the world, from systemic injustice and racism that we have sadly seen ramped up in our own nation in the last few weeks. This Jesus invites us into a better way of being in the world and to have a listening and open and discerning heart to all. It's this Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, he was, he was betrayed by someone close to him. And he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this, this is my body given for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup. He said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's this divine dance between remembrance, remembering the death of Jesus, and until he comes, living with great hope for his return when he will make all things right we live in the in-between and we don't sit around just waiting we speak words of love we act acts of love and we long for his return we, we get to be in the mix in the in-between we get to be in the mud and in the muck we get to wrestle with our own demons and our own muddied motives of fear and love and we get to ask God for divine wisdom and ask God that we would live with more fear, with more love than fear, that that we would live with more kindness than hate, that we would live with more openness than closeness, that that we would live with more hope than cynicism, That, that we would live with more forgiveness than resentment, that we would embrace this way of Jesus and live it and live it well, but we can only do it by God's Spirit living in us, opening our hearts to be more wise, more discerning, more listening, more hearing, more hopeful, by grace. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you give us these stories and. You speak to us through these ancient stories. God, we want to be a people who live in your love and live out of your love. Who spread that love. Who embrace your hope and your kindness and your joy and your delight and your justice and your forgiveness. God, I pray that you would give us wise, discerning, listening, hearing hearts. And that we would truly listen, God, not just to those who are close to us, not just to those we want to listen to, but that we would listen to those who have no voice. God, show us a better way forward. Fill us with your spirit. And God, as we partake of the bread and the cup, remind us of what you have done for us. That you came and lived and died and rose again. And that you are coming again. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.